Welcome to an enlightening podcast from IslamPodcasts.com. We encourage our listeners to please comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please remind your family and friends to also visit IslamPodcasts.com for engaging discussions on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran, Tafsir, Sira, and much more. Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Wassalatu Wassalamu Ala Sayyidina Muhammad, Wa Ala Alihi Wa Sahihi Wa Bariku Salli Musalli Alayk. Assalamu Alaikum Wa Rahmatullahi Wa Barakatuhu, Brothers and Sisters. Wa Alaikum Assalam Wa Rahmatullahi. I welcome you to this week's Friday Circle arranged by members of Hizb Tahrir. Hizb Tahrir is the only Islamic political party that works tirelessly day and night to implement the ahkam, the laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on this earth by establishing the khilafah in the Muslim world. In the Muslim world. Now before I introduce the speaker, can I please request to our viewers to like and share the Facebook and YouTube link with friends and families. Brothers and sisters, as you may have seen the flyer about today's topic, it is about the power of dua. The power of dua, subhanallah. What a blessing given to us by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to the believers. But the question is that what is the real meaning of dua? And how is it that the Muslims today view this term dua? And more specifically, how it was viewed by our beloved Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So to discuss this topic, we have Brother Farak today. Brother Farak, salam alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. How are you Brother Farak? Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, that's good, that's good. So Brother Farag, inshallah, I'm going to pass it on to you. Um, and after the, the um, you finish the talk, we will have an opportunity for questions and comments. So brothers and sisters, please leave your questions and comments in the comments box, in the comments box below. Brother Farag, over to you now, inshallah. Jazakallah. <laughs> And Allah says, and your Lord says, call on me and I will answer your prayer. But those who are too arrogant to worship me will surely find themselves in hell, in humiliation. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al-Baqarah, verse 186, When my servants ask you concerning me, tell them I am indeed close to them. I listen to the prayers of every supplicant. 
when he calls on me. It is reported in Bukhari that Rasulullah sallallahu he said, our Lord, Allah, our Lord, descends to the lowest, the nearest heaven in the universe during the last third of the night. And he says, is there anyone who calls upon me so that I should respond to him? Is there anyone who asks of me so that I can grant him his request? Is there anyone who seeks my forgiveness so that I shall pardon him and forgive his sins? In another hadith in Sahih Muslim, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam he said, a slave becomes nearest to his Lord when he is in prostration, so increase your supplications in prostration. Rasulullah sallallahu said, any Muslim who makes a supplication containing nothing that is sinful and nothing that involves breaking the ties of blood relationships will be given for it by Allah one of three things. He may accept his request or he saves it for the next world or he turns away from him an equivalent amount of evil. Those who heard it, they said, we would then make many supplications. The Prophet said, Allah is more than ready to answer what you ask, reported in Bukhari. Dear brothers and sisters, the topic of dua is a massive topic, uh, but inshallah we're going to keep it to a particular context. So at the moment, it's not just the Muslim Ummah, but the whole of mankind that has been faced with many issues since the destruction of the Khilaf in 1924, and even previous to that. We've seen war, we've seen racism, we've seen endemic poverty across the world, genocide. We've seen strong nations create institutions to control and to pillage weaker nations. We've seen recession. We've seen a surge in mental illnesses across, particularly across the Western world. And more recently, we faced the COVID-19 pandemic. And all of this has been at the hands of the current capitalist global world order. And amongst the responses we get from people in the da'wah is that, brother, we need to do du'a to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it's in this context we aim to look at this notion of making du'a that many people find uh, uh, are content uh, with just making du'a today. Our beloved Prophet sallallahu he said that the du'a is the most, sorry, the most excellent worship is du'a in Sahih al-Jam. Du'a can be said anywhere, anytime, any place. And when we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by raising our hands and recognizing him as the Lord of the universe, it brings us closer to him. The more we make du'a, the more Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he loves us. And du'a is one of the most noble acts of worship. In fact, du'a is the practical demonstration of our submission as Muslims to the Creator, showing our dependence upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It practically demonstrates our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the relationship between the Creator and the Created, the Abd and the Rabb, the Al-Halik and the Makhluk. It demonstrates all, if you look at the essence of, of, of Dua, it demonstrates all the glorious names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The all-hearing, the all-seeing, the kind, the merciful, the one who loves to forgive, the helper, the all-knowing. So all of these, and it's a true manifestation of when the Muslim says, La hawla wa la quwata illa billah, that there is no power, there is no might except for Allah. And that is like the essence of our du'a. Throughout the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he encourages, encourages us to make du'a and to call upon him and to lay out our, 
our needs, our fears, our, our ambitions, our problems before him, our uncertainties. So, and be sure that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is listening to every single word that we say. That nothing passes him. He ignores not a word, not a need of ours. In Surah Al-Ghafir, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says that make dua and I will respond to you. And these are the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is not your friend or your neighbor or your doctor or, or, or some psychiatrist listening. This is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the creator of the heavens and earth, the all hearing, the one who is able to do all things. He is saying, make dua and I will respond to you. So subhanallah, except for those obviously who are too arrogant. And Allah says he has prepared the hellfire and humiliation for them. It's actually a sign of a Muslim that he does dua, that he asks from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he does it for everything. Hazrat Aisha once he said that even if your shoe strap breaks, even if your shoe strap breaks, ask from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nothing is too trivial. Nothing is too small and nothing is too great. It's reported as part of a longer hadith that on the authority of Abu Dhar al-Ghafari, may Allah be pleased with him, that the Prophet sallallahu he said from his Lord, they said, O oh my servants, if the first of you and the last of you and the humans of you and the jinn of you were all to stand together in one place and ask of me and I were to give everyone everything what he requested, then it would not decrease what I possess except what is decreased of the ocean when a needle is dipped into it. Subhanallah. In a world that's seeing ep uh, epidemic proportions of mental illness, record levels of suicides, loneliness and growing, dua is a powerful weapon for the believer. For a Muslim, especially at the times of grief, sorrow and need, when the, 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 when the, when the, the, when the believer he makes dua, he feels relieved afterwards. That he's able to speak to his Lord, knowing his Lord is listening. That the Creator will respond. And we ask Him for guidance in times of difficulties and we seek His aid to make our efforts successful and acceptable. You know, in the West, there's a saying, it says that a problem shared is a problem halved. But unfortunately, too often in the West, we see there's nobody to talk to. When individualism has got to a level where families don't talk to each other, don't visit each other, neighbors don't know each other, there's nobody to talk to. People have started to pay psychiatrists to go and see them and other people to talk to. Now this is because society is drowning in individualism and there's no one to talk to nowadays. So, But for the believer, alhamdulillah, there is always Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the all-hearing, the all-seeing. The unlimited, the one who can truly know our situation and help our situation and fulfill our needs and our desires. In a hadith by Ahmed, Abu Sayyid al-Khudri reported that the Prophet ﷺ, he said, there is no Muslim who calls upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without cutting family ties, but Allah will give him one of three answers. He will quickly fulfill his uh, supplication. He will store it for him in the year after. Or he will divert an evil from uh, from him similar to it. And they said, and then in that case we will ask more. And Allah, and the Prophet said, and Allah has even more. So dua, my brothers, is a powerful weapon for us. And there's no doubt. And then we would need a whole circle just to discuss the essence and the power of dua itself. So today, 
the context in which we're talking, when it comes to our situation as an ummah, you'll find that many people are just content with just doing dua, saying, brother, that's all we can do. Whether it's about the occupation of Muslim lands, whether it's about the invasion, whether it's about poverty, whether it's about corruption in the Muslim lands, brother, just do dua. Now that, you know, it, it, it seems uh, very contradictory to what we normally do in our lives. And then there's an example from a righteous scholar named Ibrahim ibn Adam, rahimullah, who was approached by a man who complained that, you know, he does dua all the time, but it never seems to be accepted or it doesn't seem to answer get, get answered. And the scholar replied, this is because you know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is your Rabb, yet you don't obey him. You know that the, you know the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, yet we don't follow his sunnah. And you know the Quran and its instructions, but we do not implement them. And sadly, this is our situation today, where we see this contradiction in our behavior. Where, and I want you to imagine, imagine a brother who's sitting amongst you now. And he's munching on a, um, a, a donut meat and chips. Nice, greasy donut meat and chips. He's doing like, oh Allah, give me health. Ya Allah, give me health. But he's not prepared to do anything to exercise, to change his dietary habits. Yet he'll still continue that, but he's doing dua. What would you say to this person? You say, look, there's a, there's a contradiction between your actions and what you desire and your dua that you're doing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if we examine our own personal lives, we'll find similar contradictions between the dua and the actions we take for ourselves and the dua and the action when it comes to issues to do with the ummah. When it comes to, you know, our earning money, how many of us actually sit at home and just do dua? When it comes to buying our food or, or our possessions or something, how many of us just sit at home and do dua? Or do we take practical actions in order to achieve what we want to achieve? So, when it, why is it then when it comes to the Ummah and the problems that we face and helping other Muslims, we feel somehow justified in just saying, let's make dua without doing any actions. Dua, my brothers, is always accompanied by action. You know, I when I was planning this, my brother told me to do this talk, I was like, I get stressed out and you know, I know it's going to take time, it's going to take effort, it's going to be a responsibility. And I, I did plenty of dua. And I, I, you know, I wish this brother hadn't given me that. But, you know, as much dua as I did, it still didn't change until I put pen to paper. Until I started to do my research and my planning. And then I did that so that I did dua. And then I did dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he put barakah in it and is beneficial and Allah accepts our efforts. You know, during this COVID-19, and I'm sure you've all uh, experienced similar situations, met many brothers who, you know, when you go to meet them, they've got the gloves on, they've got sanitizer on there, and, you know, brother and a mask mask over the face, and, you know, brother, elbow, elbow touch, yeah? And you go to the, you go to the salon, brothers are two meters away saying, brother, you know, keep this and keep anything, what? And the response is what? The response is, brother, we have to take the necessary precautions. We have to take them. We have to look, do what is within our control to protect ourselves. And you think, subhanAllah. Yet when the discussion turns to our ummah, to the plight of our brothers and sisters in Kashmir, Palestine, China, our sisters that are locked up, suddenly, brother, we can only do the work. 
And you think, subhanAllah, what a contradiction. What a contradiction that we face. And we all do it. But if we look to the example that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala given us, and the example of the Prophet given us in the Quran, they've always attached action with dua. There's actually very few examples in the Quran where somebody did solely dua. So for example, Prophet Yunus alayhi salam, he was in the belly of the whale. He could do nothing else but dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But in all the other examples, you see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has demanded an action, no matter how small, like Musa alayhi salam striking the sea with a stick. What was that going to ever achieve? You can strike all day long, except Allah says to do it. And then Allah is the one that gives the victory. Allah is the one that makes the things happen. So, for example, in Rasulullah's time, in the Battle of Uhud, the Prophet and the believers, they did not just sit in Medina and wait and do dua for the enemy. They went out and they met them. They made preparation, they went out and they met them and they did dua before, during and after the battle. After establishing the authority, the state in Medina Sharif, Rasulullah he didn't wait and do dua for this deen to reach from the east to the west. Rather, he sent ambassadors with letters. He sent scholars to go out and en masse to educate and to, to spread this deen across the globe. So it was not just a matter of dua. And we see this in their examples. But at the same time, they did dua for their efforts as well, for success in their efforts. In the Battle of the Trench, you saw that Rasulullah employed the best means, the best mechanism of defense that they could think of to protect themselves from the enemy. If anybody, if anybody could have achieved all this just simply by raising their hands and asking for Allah from Allah, then Rasulullah, the best of creation, would have been that person. Yet we didn't see that. You saw Rasulullah in the Battle of Badr make full preparations to meet the enemy. And then he spent the whole night in prayer and supplication to the creator of mankind for his support, for his victory. So this is the situation that we should be in. And this is the way we should view it. The Prophet ﷺ, he built Masjid al-Nabi with his own hands. Why? It's to show you and I, to show us today the practical example of how we need to do actions in order to achieve an objective. That, and that we have to look at the best way in order to achieve that. Where would we be today if the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, after the passing away of Rasulullah had not taken actions and responsibility to preserve the Qur'an? Where would we be today if the generations after them had not sent armies out to conquer the lands, to liberate the lands? You know, our ancestors were worshipping idols. And if it had not been for their actions and their obligation that they undertook upon themselves, then we would not today be worshipping the creator of, the, of mankind. So you see, after them, there was people like uh, those who work to preserve the hadith. Where would we be today if it was not for that work and that effort, the practical actions that they put in? Anybody can sit and do dua, and it is a necessary part of our belief. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's Messenger وسلم, showed us practically that we need to do those actions which achieve the objective uh, and fulfill our obligations. So you see that they didn't just sit and make dua. They undertook those necessary actions and they relied upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, the 
Rasul sallallahu and the Sahaba at the time, and, and many of you will know they lived at a time of oppression, a time of tyrannical rule, if you like, by uh, the Quraysh, which had racism, it had slavery, it had the oppression of women, and there was many tribalistic ideas that they had, and there's much infighting amongst them. And they struggled to create a change and to remove that system, remove that oppression alongside seeking the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, setting an example for us today as to how to strive and to establish our deen. Do we not know the example of Hazrat Bilal radiallahu an? How they put a big boulder on his chest, crushing him. And have we not seen the example of George Floyd and the oppressive system that was crushing his neck? Do we not see similarities? Where somebody feels that there's no problem for him to take the life of another simply because of the color of his skin. Or simply that he thinks he's better from a better tribe than the others. Is that not a similar situation? Do we not see this? The oppression of the weak and the poor in, in, in across the globe by the rich elite. Did not the Prophet ﷺ set an example to us when he cultured a group and the group they carried a dawah? And that dawah they spoke against the oppression and challenged the ruling system and presented Islam as an alternative way of life. Is that not an example for us today? They persisted in this work and they sacrificed and they struggled, knowing that the victory was only with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But their job and their duty, their obligation was to carry that. And whose footsteps are we following in today when it comes to the example of the oppression that we see around us? Whose method are we going to follow today? The democratic one? Is that the way Rasulullah sallallahu set an example for us? Imagine if at the time of Salahuddin Ayyubi, Rahimullah, if he sat and did dua, would Palestine, would Al-Quds have been liberated then? Will it be liberated now? Simply by dua? When a Muslim woman was imprisoned by a tyrannical ruler and abused and she she called out, was not the means of her release, her freedom, the Khalifa at the time, who came to rescue her, was that not the solution provided by Allah subhanahu wa and his messenger, who is going to listen to the cries of our sister Afia Siddiqui today? Who is? Should we not feel ashamed that we Despite even the fact that we carry da'wah, that all we can say, or many people say, is the brother, we do du'a. Where is the mechanism of upholding our honor and our dignity and our deen, placing it in the highest position where it deserves to be? SubhanAllah. You see that the leaders today, they're not capable of this and they're not willing of this. And this misunderstanding we have about the lack of that connection between dua and action has caused this sort of apathy and this attitude where we think there's nothing we can do. You know, and people have kind of just re resolved it themselves to, to stick to the status quo. There's nothing we can do to change it. And some people, they fall into despair as though there's hopelessness, as though they've forgotten that he, the rub of mankind, is listening to your du'as. He's asking you to ask and we should never feel in despair. This has made many of the Ummah, unfortunately, turn to other solutions as well.
So instead of looking at the example of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, how they struggled and they strived, how they bled and tears and sweat and how the Sahaba did this, you see them turning to the West. Yeah, United Nations. Why? What have they ever done for you? Because this is that misunderstanding when we look at the deen and it makes the deen look impractical as though dua is the only thing that it has to offer. Why is it that when we want to look at how to pray, how to dress, how to have marital relations, how to solve these kind of day-to-day problems that we turn to the Quran and the Sunnah. But when it comes to practical actions, when it comes to the Ummah's problem solutions, then suddenly we turn to the UN. We turn to Western politics for solutions. Despite the fact that they have slapped us in the face many times over and over and stuck a knife in our back many times over, yet you still find the leaders running to them. Brothers and sisters, with the correct mentality around dua and action as highlighted by the Prophet and the companions and the leaders after them, the Khulafa and the other heroes of our deen, our role models, they carried, we can carry that light of Islam of via the Khilafah to mankind. To overcome this apathy, we need to correct our understanding and create in us an ummah and be part of an, an ummah that refers and relies upon the creator of mankind, that understands its relationship and its responsibility in this life, an ummah that is productive and uses the best means possible and to solve its solution, uh, to solve its problems and to achieve the objective that we need to achieve today. It would be, this Ummah, it would understand its obligation to work, to resolve the Islamic way of life, to establish the Khilafah upon the method of the Prophet wasallam, exposing, challenging the current system today, removing the system and implementing the Islamic alternative system, a new world order in Muslim lands like Pakistan, like Turkey and certain other lands. Yeah? The Ummah then would be willing to struggle and to strive in this life, knowing that it has the most powerful, the all-knowing, the unlimited, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the creator of mankind on our side. Now imagine that no matter what you put on the other side, if you have Allah on your side, then you are in a win-win situation. That win may not necessarily happen in your lifetime, but you are in the win-win situation. And nothing can reach you that Allah has not already decreed. Subhanallah. So the Ummah would know at that point that its success, its salvation lies under the shade of Allah in this earth, the Khilafah. It would be empowered. It would be determined to lead the world, and to show the world what we have like we once had before. So you, my brothers and sisters, you have a responsibility to work and to struggle with us to bring back the Khilafah system, the return of the news of the Islamic world order and to make dua if you are to be true to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the tawfiq to work and to struggle so that when we meet him on the day of judgment, he is pleased with us. Jazakallah khair, Jazakallah khair, Brother Farah, for that. Um, for that really detailed insight of, of how dua should be viewed 
Um, and you know, Jazakallah Khair also for making it clear. And you know, it really sort of puts into perspective that doing making dua just for the sake of it, yeah, it's actually going, it's not from the Sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It actually puts into perspective that that you need to make an action and then have tawakkal in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, yeah. Just like you know the, the, the famous example of, of the Battle of Badr. Yeah, it's like the Rasulullah and the Sahabas, uh, they would uh, train in the day as if they didn't have to work in Allah. But by night, they would make so much dua as if, as if they haven't trained. So you need both hand in hand, inshallah. So Jazakallah khair for that. Um, inshallah, we will not take um, questions and comments from our viewers. Um, okay, so it's a comment from Brother Abdullah Dawood. Supplicating dua is mandatory thing for the Muslim to do while doing the actions of the tariqah, as what the Prophet and his companions used to do. And there's another comment. There is, uh, there is no Muslim who supplicates a supplication without sin or cuts off family ties except that Allah gave him of three things. Either his supplication is quickly responded to or it's saved for him for the afterlife, or to keep him away from the evilness of something similar. They wow. said, if we increase from it, he said, Allah gives even more. Narrated by Ahmed. Wow. I've got a question from Brother Aziz Ahmed. Jazakallah, brother. Did Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, sahabas and the khulafa exhausted doing the right action, then raised their hands in dua? Is that a question or is that a comment? I think that's a question. What a question mark after. No, no doubt, no doubt they did, and we see that in their examples. Uh, you know, when we, we you take any of the Khulafa Rashidin, you'll see that by day and by night their concern was the Ummah. How do we protect one? How do we fulfill this obligation and this trust that's been put upon us by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And there's many famous examples of Hazrat Umar radiallahu an, how he organized just the state's affairs, how we organize the administration, how we try to put the best people into the in the positions that were necessary. So you see many examples of that. And, you know, anybody can read the seerah, and I do encourage you to read the seerah because this is one of the things I find that, you know, in our, in our community, people know snippets of the seerah, and they're usually taken in isolation from the context within which they were given. And so, therefore, people don't actually understand the seerah in a chronological fashion how Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa he took this mission. And, uh, you know, for example, people say that Rasulullah knows that they ran away from um, from Medina, uh, sorry, from Makkah to Medina because of safety reasons and etc. Whereas when you read the seerah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa you see that actually that was a very detailed, very precise, planned trip or a, uh, what you call it, a movement, the hijrah. For a very specific purpose, which was to establish the deen. Otherwise, Rasulullah and the Sahaba could have left 10 years before that, when things started to heat up. But when Rasulullah had, had that mission to establish the deen, and the Nusra was given by the Awas and Hazraj, and the victory was given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, at that point, permission was given to leave and to, to, to establish themselves in, in Medina. So you'll find many of these examples throughout the seerah. So I encourage our, our, our listeners to, to read the seerah. Uh, any, any 
detailed sort of seerah, if you like. Rahikul Maktoon, the seerah Nakta, is a good one I often refer to. It's, a, it's a easier read than maybe Ibn Kathir's, which is a lot more detailed. But anything that you that you can pick up that talks about the whole life of Rasulullah, you'll see you will see quite clear examples throughout that how they connected their actions with the mission and they relied upon Allah Subhanahu wa Taala with their dua uh, for the victory. Jazakallah khair for that. <clears throat> I think we have a comment from Brother Majid Razak. Says Jazakallah khair for these very important points. I believe as Muslims we also need to become more astute about the rise of these arguments. The discussion isn't necessarily about the validity of dua or not. Same way as whether Islam is built upon five pillars or not. The real issue is that some of fundamental Islamic concepts were emphasized more so than other Islamic obligations. Why? Because it is allowed for the subjugation and oppression of our ummah to continue, whilst the ummah unfortunately turned blind eye, not intentionally to the colonialists. We cannot allow history to repeat itself. Jazakallah khair, Brother Majid. Um, also, Brother Fala, this um, brings on the question to my mind. You know, when we discuss out with the Ummah about the establishment of Khilafah, um, and a lot of, they come with an argument of, uh, uh, and they bring an ayah from Surah Turab. A'udhu billahi min anfusihim. So they say that Indeed, Allah would never change people's state until they change what is within themselves. And they say that we can't go out and give da'wah because what we need to change ourselves. We need to make that relation with Allah first and then we can go out. So could you just elaborate on that please? Okay, Jazakallah. Alhamdulillah, I mean, there, there, is, there is much like the discussion we're having today about du'a, that we need to do du'a. In the same way, we yes, we need to improve and and uh, uh, improve ourselves and our uh, and our personal state, but that's alongside the same way as dua is alongside action. This is alongside the same dawa. It's an obligation for you to carry a dawa, you know, to carry this dawa to call towards the establishment of the deen. In the same way, it's the same for you to continue, and you will be on a continuous journey of self improvement. You will always, till the day you die, shaitan will always be there. There'll be temptations there. There'll be other distractions and, and limitations that you have. This is going to be a continuous battle for you. So, but for you to say that exclusively, we can't do anything. We can't carry a dawah. We can't mention hilafah. We can't call for it. We can't yearn for it unless we've improved ourselves. This is, again, a, a very, um, um, it's a misunderstanding of the reality. In the same way that dua would be a mis- just doing dua would be a misunderstanding, just somebody waking up on themselves. Because at what point do you do you then start? Are you waiting to become perfect? You know, this is a misunderstanding. So, secondly, the ayah itself doesn't actually refer to the individual. If you actually learn, the ayah talks about qom, uses the word qom, which means that as a nation, as a people, it means as a people as a whole. So, it's not talking about just an individual. And unfortunately, that's often how it's interpreted that I, as an individual, need to improve myself. And once I've got to whatever stage I think I need to get to, then I can carry that. Whereas if you see the examples of the Sahaba Ajma'in, you know, and again, it's not to compare ourselves to them, but they are our role models and they are the best amongst the best examples for us. Abu Dhar al-Ghaffari, he he knew one ayah and he went out there and he said it in front of the Kaaba. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said in one hadith that 
even if you know one ayah, convey it from me. So it's not about having volumes of knowledge and, you know, having some kind of certification. It's about carrying that responsibility, knowing that responsibility and carrying that responsibility. And each and every one of us has that, has that obligation upon our necks to work to establish the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Of course, of course, Jazakallah khair for that. Um, <clears throat> I think we've got a couple of comments here. So, Brother Jahid, Jazakallah khair for your Salah talk. Um, so Abdullah Dawood, again, connecting between supplication, dua alone, and jihad in the topic of opening a fortress or fighting the enemy. Supplication does not lead here to a tangible result, but only the reward. As alone, it is not the tariqah to opening a fortress or fighting the enemy. Alhamdulillah. I mean, just on that point, it's, it's mentioned in the book, Mefahim of Hizbutakhrir, which is uh, amongst the books that uh, we study uh, in, in our circles. Uh, I've actually got that quote here because I was looking at that. And it says, it's mentioned in the book that supplication is a materialistic action that achieves a spiritual value. And jihad is also a material action that achieves a spiritual value. However, dua, although being a materialistic action achieves a non-tangible result, which is the reward, this is in contrast to jihad, fighting against the enemy is a materialistic action which achieves a tangible result by opening of a fortress or the killing of an enemy and the like. So whilst both, uh, uh, both are materialistic actions, one achieves a non-tangible result, which is the reward for doing the war, but the other achieves the objective, a tangible result, which you're aiming to do, which is to open the fortress, uh, and to fight the enemy and so on and so forth. So we need to know that what is the action that is needed to achieve that objective? You know, uh, both maybe achieve a reward, but in that situation, if you're not fulfilling or not employing the means that achieve the objective, then you're falling short of your obligation. Um, we'll take another comment from Brother Jahid. I find it really interesting how people neglect the power of dua. So I find it really interesting how people neglect the power of dua. Hence, unfortunately, many people only make sincere dua at the time of need. And most of the time, dua is done senselessly as just another action without any understanding or reference to our akhidah. Should I add anything to that, Brother Farah? Uh, yeah, I mean, there was, uh, I did have a hadith here about that where uh, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, I think it's a hadith in Tirmidhi, it says that the, the, for the one who wishes for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to answer the prayers, answer his supplications in times of um, difficulty and hardship, he should make supplications in times of ease also. Yeah? So, uh, the, I mean, there's two perspectives. One is that we should continuously do dua. We should never underestimate the power of dua. But on the second hand, you know, we may, as Dawakariyas, sometimes find ourselves, you know, thinking that we are the ones that change the hearts of the person that we're discussing. Our job is to plan and to execute that plan, our discussion in the best way with the people that we're discussing with, to try and employ the best means to achieve the objective of getting these these um, these concepts, these ideas across to the Ummah. But 
At the same time, we should be doing dua for that individual or for the ummah that, because it's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that is the changer of the hearts. You know, is it you and I that go out there and think, oh, you know, we, we, we've spoken to so many people or, or we've had these results. It is Allah that changes the hearts. It is Allah that gives a victory. So we should never underestimate the power of the dua that we have. But again, it's within that perspective or within that context that we need to understand it. We've got a question here from Brother Kaysen Najib. It seems from what you're saying that Islam is about practicality. Material actions are an inherent part of our obedience to the Creator. This seems, this seems in contrast to how we learn Islam today and what we normally hear from the member. How can we change this mindset? Subhanallah. I mean, that is the uh, that is the essence of the Dao is to change the mindset that people hold today. You know, I mean, I remember as a, as, as a young woman, I used to go to the mosque and uh, for Juma and in the few khutbah at the time that were done in English. You know, we got this impression that Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam was this angelic figure that whoever he gazed his eyes at, they became Muslim, and that was his struggle. And it's only when we actually learn the life of Rasulullah that you actually truly start to love him for the struggle, for the sacrifices that he made and the Sahaba made. And you see that they went through hardships. For what? They saw oppression. They saw a need that a dawah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, a mission that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had given them that needed to, com- needed to be completed. And they were speaking up against tyrants, people who whipped them, people who killed them, people who banished them. And they were, you know, eating leaves. When you hear, read about Rasulullah and, and the stones, you, you know, it brings tears to your eyes. And we think that somehow by just simply raising our hands, doors of Jannah will be open to us. It, it still amazes me that, you know, this is, but that is the essence of the Dawah is to, is to, to pass on this Dawah to inform people, to educate them, to show them what the real solution is for the problems of the Ummah today. You know, you will get many people saying, brother, until we get so many people in the Fajr Salah, it doesn't matter. You can get everybody to Fajr Salah. You know, I pray that it happens. But if nobody knows what Hilafah is or how to bring about that change, then you can read as much namaz as you like. And this is about, you know, changing that situation. You have to do what is necessary. You know, when it comes to our education of our children or our own jobs, do we not know the ins and outs of it? Then why is it that when it comes to the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, something that's going to affect us in this life and affect our hereafter, that we just skim over the service of it and take the, may Allah forbid, we take the parts that are easy for us. Take a question from Brother Imran Khan. Is reading the seerah and life of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam enough to change the situation of the Muslims? Learning is one thing, but calling for and living for what Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam called is another. Is reading the seerah. Um, no, obviously on its own, it's nothing but education, if you like, if you look at it from an academic perspective. Um, but, but, you know, if we are going to follow in the footsteps of the best of creation, Rasulullah, then we need to know what is it that he carried as a dawah? How did he, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, bring about change? And you'll see that Rasulullah, 
he formed a group. He educated, he, he cultured that group. Then that group went out in society with that culture of challenging the malpractices, of challenging the, the, the false gods of those days. Of those days, the false gods would have been, you know, Allah and the idols and, and, and so on and so forth. What are the gods of today? The gods of today is where man puts democracy or man-made law above the law of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Or man refers to other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to solve his problems. Rather to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we should be looking at this, we should be looking at the life of Rasulullah as an example for us. And it is the best example. Today, if you compare the we have never been in a situation since then, since the establishment of the Deen of Medina to 1924, where there has not been Islam implemented. We're actually in a unique position where we have the opportunity, and we should see it as an opportunity. Which generations before us have been in a situation where they've had to work to establish the Deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that it didn't exist. So this is actually a very close situation to that, and this is very apt that we learn that those... Um, those, uh, subhanAllah, I forgot the word. Uh, those, 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 uh, those, subhanAllah, it's gone. It's gone. Yeah? What Rasulullah did to, in order to establish the thing, basically. Um, another question comes to mind with the Farak is you know, a lot of people say that, um, that yes, we do need to live in Khilafah, but of course, the methods are different. And Today you see, especially in Britain, is that there's a, a big hype for for Muslim schools. Yeah, I, we need to educate our kids, and and that will result to to our generations, um, and that will bring Islam. What what would you say to that? Uh, subhanallah. Um, I agree with the first part of it. Then totally disagree with the the second part of it. Uh, obviously, we have have a duty as parents, as a community, to protect the identity uh, to ensure the tarbiyah of our children to the best of our ability. And it's some, something for which we will be accounted for. So, you know, whatever we need to do, we need to make sure that we do it to the best of our ability. But if we think that that on its own our education process is going to bring about the change, then again, I refer back to, is that what Rasulullah did? Yes, he cultured. You could say, yeah, he cultured the Sahaba. Yes. But what happened after that culturing? That culture alone did not bring about change. It, that culture then manifested itself into action, into challenging society, into preparing those people to be able to struggle and to strive and sacrifice in order to achieve the objective. Now, if we if that is not part of our dawah or part of the education of our children in these Islamic schools, then really all we're doing is English math science with with a bit of tarbiyah on the side. You know, and, uh, you know, it, it doesn't really achieve the objective. But, yeah, the first part, definitely agree. We have that responsibility. We have to. But the schools, again, will not achieve that. We've seen many schools, unfortunately, that, you know, you go in there and, and they're celebrating Christmas or they've got Christmas decorations up. They've got quotes from Gandhi and God knows who else. Uh, and they're being told by Ofsted that they have to teach certain other things which are in direct 
contradiction with our core beliefs and they're having to do it otherwise you know their institution will get closed down now they have to ask themselves what's more important what they're teaching the children or the uh, the institution that they're trying to protect you know and these some people have got some very hard choices well they make it hard choices in reality that the choice should be quite straightforward inshallah for that um I think we don't have any more further questions or comments. So, inshallah, we'll end it there. Um, just a couple of announcements before we end, inshallah, is that the Friday circle will carry on, uh, same as normal, next week at 8 p.m. Uh, so please uh, look out for the flyer and do share it uh, with your friends and families. Also, another very important announcement, brothers and sisters, is that we are holding an international conference on Saturday, 31st of October at 2 p.m. And the conference is titled Return of the Islamic World Order. So please do register and uh, for this conference. And the link for the registration can be found on our website at hizb.org.uk. Brother Farah, Jazakallahu Khair for that, inshallah. And uh, I said, may Allah give us a zawfiq to, to um, implement what has been said today uh, in our lives. Inshallah, we will end um, uh, with a dua, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Podcasts on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran tafsir, and sirah are available at islampodcasts.com as well as on iTunes. Rate, review, and comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please subscribe, share, and tell a friend about islampodcasts.com.